Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier back with the Let's Do Influencing show. And as mentioned, we have Kate Delaney with us today. And Kate, I think a great starting point would be to kind of follow up on the intro to get you to tell us, I guess, from your perspective, maybe just a little bit about your journey for those who may be discovering you for the very first time today. Yeah, you know, um, boy, oh boy, it, it's interesting, Corey, when I look back and it, you know, they, I, they always say how time moves so fast. It doesn't feel like it when you're in the middle of it, but my, my journey really began where if I take you right from college days, I went to Ohio University, I wanted to be a television anchor woman, and I did become a TV anchor woman. My first job was in a place called uh, El Paso, Texas at a cool station, KTSM. But while I was there, I was also interested in business because I was doing news, hardcore news, but I was also interested in business and sports. And then what happened was one of the uh, sports guys, and, and this happened a couple of times on the weekend, needed off. So they kind of asked me, hey, do you want to jump in and, and do sports? And the more I did that, the more I decided, wow, I really like doing this too, but there just wasn't any women doing it. It was kind of amazing that the news director let me do it. So then what happened was I was continuing down that news path, but always in the back of my head, looking to do more in sports. And it took 500 rejections and a couple of different moves before I finally got that break in, in sports. And it turned out to be, even though I was doing TV, it turned out to be sports radio. And what was so crazy is it was, and I did an hour show and the guy who hired me was this guy named Roger Blameyer, who was the VP at one point in his career of the Golden State Warriors and the Cincinnati Reds, the great old baseball team. And when he hired me, he said he saw me doing TV sports and I had filled in and just done radio a little bit on the side. And he said, you would be great doing a talk show, doing a sports talk show. And I said, I don't think I can fill an hour. And he said, I think you could fill six. <laughs> so he hired me and um, what a great break that was. And I really liked conversation and I really liked interviewing. And I got a chance to do that in a longer form because as you know, when you're talking about audio, radio, et cetera, there's just more time involved than when you're anchoring and you're kind of throwing to a weather guy or you're throwing to the sports guy or other people on the set. So it was um, really awesome to get that break and that was in California. Wow, so Kate, so many directions already that I wanna go from there. And the first one is you know, something that I guess from the outside looking in, and unless you're in the industry, sometimes you don't know. But, you know, watching on the outside in, it seemed like even growing up, there were a lot of female anchors. Now I say this, I'll explain, I'll backstep when I say that. Not necessarily as the lead anchor or as the main person, but there seemed to be, you know, you've seen at least some female anchors, whereas in some industries, you didn't see females at all, which was so sad. And so I guess on the outside looking in, I actually thought maybe it was an easier industry to break into as a female. And it sounds like, and so this is what I wanted to ask you about, it sounds like maybe I'm wrong. So was it a tough business to be in as a female? 
Oh, it was very tough business to be in because I always had so many guys that supported me, but they weren't the gatekeeper. So they weren't the general manager of the station or um, the news director or the person who was really ultimately in charge. So as much as my, my guy friends or other guys who were sports reporters tried to help me, they just didn't have the juice. They just didn't, you know, couldn't push me up the ladder. So yes, it was really, really tough. And it's interesting, Corey, too, that you say that because in a way you would think, well, hey, I mean, there's, because I, I certainly wasn't the you know, first person to ever, first woman to ever do sports, you would think that there would be more openings, but I believe the philosophy was, do men really want to listen to a woman doing sports? And if you look around today, I was just told by somebody who was doing an interview with me, because I do, um, I've got a show with business and uh, politics, and of course I speak, but I still have an NBC sports show on the weekends. And they told me I was the only woman in the United States with a, a solo talk show. Wow. Well, and see, it's funny because whenever I was mentioning even on the, uh, the news anchor side, I was thinking in, in general news, not necessarily sports, because you're right. I mean, I didn't even, this is how sad that is. I didn't even know that that was an option as a kid. And that's sad. Like I didn't even... I just automatically, and this is terrible, but automatically thought, okay, well, uh, there's only male sportscasters. I, I, yeah. I haven't seen any, and that's that's almost sad when you think growing up, I didn't see any examples. So if you don't see an example, sometimes you just think that's maybe not an option. And I think that's really sad. As somebody who's raised by a single mother, who I watched, you know, she was able to do anything. She was superwoman to me. And it's sad that I just didn't even know that that was an option. And I guess that drives to my follow-up question, which is the connection to sports to you and, and meaning why, you know, why from such a young age did you want to be a sports anchor? And I want to follow this up too, Kate, because there's always room for, you know, sometimes people to misconstrue something. I asked this, uh, you know, saying from a perspective that I would ask this from a male or female sportscaster, because I like to get behind, you know, what was your driver? What was your motivator? What was the catalyst? So I'm, I'm curious, what was your catalyst? Why, you know, why sports for you? Uh, it's such, it is such a good question because I think that the, I grew up with a single mother too, and she told me I could do whatever I wanted. So I just didn't really think that there were doors closed in any field. I wasn't thinking that way ever. And we, you know, my mother, Corey, was one of those women, maybe like your mother, she wanted me to have the best of everything. And whether she would take us and drag us kicking, kicking and screaming to some opera in Philadelphia, or she would take us to the, see the Philadelphia Phillies, or she would take us to see the Flyers. She thought it was good for us to be, um, experience everything. And part of that was sports. And I, I really give her the credit because I liked it. I liked the competition from the time I was like five or six years old. I loved watching. Um, I love watching sports, especially hockey and football and, and probably baseball too. And then I had an uncle who is um, Canadian actually, and his name's Bernie Perrant. And he was the goaltender for the Philadelphia Flyers when I was really, really young, probably too young to understand. And he won, he was with the Philadelphia Flyers and they won the Stanley Cup back to back years. And that was a very, very big deal. And he made me feel special the times that I saw him 
because there really really wasn't that many girls around in the family. They were mostly boys. And I would say even that had something to do with it. Wow. You know, it's 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 funny as you were as you were sharing this and, and talking about it, you know, first of all, it's amazing to me sometimes where inspirations come from. But I don't know why it popped into my head, but I was thinking about, and I, I just realized this now, but there's, uh, in Canada, and I, and I guess, you know, because you mentioned uh, him being a Canada, in Canada, one of the things that I've noticed now is on the uh, sports like ESPN, Canada, and Sportsnet, there's actually almost every desk with anchors on it now is a male and female. And you were saying earlier, you know, the, the question that they had back then was, would a, a male want to hear a female's perspective in sports, which we now know the answer is definitely yes. Uh, but I guess here's the question. You were breaking barriers early on. What do you think it was that maybe made it more possible now for it to be kind of a, a dual anchor type desk uh, the way it is today? Uh, you know, it's different in television. I think in television, it's um, a little bit different, obviously, than in, in radio, where you're talking about, as I mentioned, that really giant amount of time. Although, when you're anchoring, that's different than if you're doing a talk show, even in TV. And I just think the executives started to think that they, how do we get a bigger audience? How can we get more people interested in this? What is more entertaining? Because so much of of what it is is partially certainly a big chunk of it is 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 entertainment because it's the perspectives of the people a lot of times and in this day and age it is because that kind of creeps into it it is your perspective if you notice even if it's a, a straight sportscast a lot of times it's laced with opinion and i and i think that's the reason why it made it perhaps a little bit more interesting so let me ask you this, Kate, before I, I move away from the subject, but I think it's a, it's a very interesting subject because I think the more we, as people talk about it, the better it gets for females in, in industries where it's been tough. And, you know, something that I've noticed, we had somebody on the show recently who did a TED talk uh, on being a woman in Hollywood and how big of a struggle that was. And, you know, we hear the statistics that, for example, CEOs, I mean, I've heard the numbers like, women in, uh, in uh, CEOs or C-level positions, let's say it was, and I forget the numbers now, but let's say as a, it, this is kind of a rough idea, but I think, you know, 15 years ago, maybe it was 7% now it's 14. And so some people are saying that's abysmal that it's 14, but then I'm looking at the perspective of going in 10 years from 7% to 14, whatever the numbers were, it actually had doubled in 10 years. But if you look at the previous, whatever, 80 years, it hadn't hardly moved a digit. Um, so my question out of that, Kate, is, you know, I guess it's, it's up for debate whether or not uh, it's, it's moved in a big way recently or whether it's too far behind now. Uh, I think we all agree it could be better. But I guess my question is, do you think personally that it's moving in the right direction? I think it is moving in the right direction because, as you said, the numbers, you're right on the numbers. It was like 7% because I've dug into women uh, on paid boards and that's still really very low. And, and in the C-suite, you're right, it has jumped up. So the idea of uh, adding the right woman with the right background for the right situation, I think is um, not so much a novelty anymore as, boy, can we find the right woman and the right person and just open up that pool a little bit more. 
and I think that's what we're seeing. Some people would say, well, that's because of me too, but I don't think so necessarily. I think that was happening before the hashtag me too and oh look what's happened to women in the past and in some of these job situations i really think it's more that also the pool just opened up and there are more um people of the mind that we need to have more diversity we need to get a, a woman in here especially because um women um run a lot of households women have the power of the purse and i go back to that whole entertainment thing again who's setting the tone for, okay, this is what we're getting involved in, whether it's couples, single, whatever, dating. I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, it's smart to have the woman's perspective. And especially in a company at a higher level, it just adds to what, especially in a world where we have, um, you know, where everything moves so rapidly and our attention spans are seven and eight seconds. and you're trying to capture, ultimately capture attentions or consumers or whatever. I think that's important. And, you know, when, when you say that 2K, one of the things that popped into my mind is this, the, the lady, her name um, uh, is Naomi McDougall-Jones, who did this TED Talk I was talking about. And, and you mentioned the Me Too movement and her TED Talk just jumped up like it went from I think 10,000 views to like a half a million views in like a week after the Me Too movement it really spurred it so much so that she had done the talk eight months earlier and people thought it was a brand new talk because it was rising so quickly but one of the things I remember her saying in our interview and or in the talk I think both about when they did studies female directors as an instance and I think the number is like less than 5%, it might be 2 or 3% of female uh, directors are female, but female directors on average make something like 200% more. And the movies are uh, in a big way, mega more successful than male movies. And so I like to think that the more that happens, you know, the more people see that happening, that will continue to go in the right direction and people can't ignore those kind of numbers. As Steve Martin said, which is one of my favorite quotes, um, be so good that they can't ignore you. And I think that's happening. Yeah, um, I mean, you hit on something. Be so good is so true. Uh, conversations I've had with a lot of women in the C-suite who had their own hurdles or whatever, um, a lot of them have shared with me that same thing, that you have to be tenacious and you have to be really good, sometimes um, twice as good as a man especially before that was true because of what you would be measured up against, I think. And ultimately just the broad quote of be so good. Yeah. Be good. And don't uh, constantly be looking over your shoulder. So I, I promised I wanted to switch gears. So you mentioned another thing that I want to, to jump to, and, and you mentioned about 500 rejections and that is just sort of mind blowing. I remember hearing about Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, getting turned down, I think the number was 126 times or 144 times uh, for the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And you know, two things came to my mind whenever I, I heard that story back then is, wow, 144 times and they continued on. And then the second thing is how many times people get it wrong. They turned down that, that, that series and it became, I believe, the most successful short story series of all time. It's over 500 million in print. So I have to think it's in the top three, if not the, the most successful. And yet it was turned down. And 
we could go down a, a massive list of the things that were turned down many times that became super successful. In fact, I read Tim Ferriss's book was turned down X amount of times as well, a four hour work week, which ended up becoming a phenomenal bestseller. And so my question out of all that, Kate, is when you were rejected over and over and over again, this is where I'm curious about in terms of mindset, in terms of drive, what helped you continue going? Like, can you take yourself back there and, and remember, and do you remember, you know, what drove you to keep going rather than just say after 10 times, you know, this is enough. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I had a lot of people around me that were, were, they were trying to be helpful, but they were discouraging because they would say, you know, why are you doing this? Because you're smart, you're fun, you're, um, you could do so much more and being stuck in this situation, I just, you know, why, why do that? So I didn't have a lot of encouragement in one way around me. I did from the people who were trying to help me, but not from the people in my world. And what I did was, I'll tell you, Corey, I just really believed that that was where I was supposed to be, that I could make it if I just kept going. And I didn't have it in me to give up and say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I can keep going down the news path. I like it anyway. I love business and all these other things I'm doing. And I can just be involved in that and really drill down that road. But I had the passion to have that in my arsenal and I wasn't willing to stop. And I figured it's a numbers game. Maybe if I keep talking to people, if I keep sending out tapes, that something will eventually happen. And it really took a long time. And this finally, it was probably around number 300. And I like to say, because I think it really was this number, 369, because I started counting them and I would put the rejections on the wall. It was almost like a badge of honor, like, okay, here we go, another one. So um, I was single then and I thought, you know, hey, I'm cute and fun, but these guys would come over and see this wall of rejection and probably figure, what's wrong with her? But I got this, um, this rejection, it was like 369, like I said, and the guy wrote a note to me and it was a TV guy because I was sending out a lot of television tapes and some radio, but he said, you know, Kate, your tape is good. You have a great voice. You look really good on camera but I feel like a woman doesn't belong in a locker room and women are more suited to easy breezy. And that's how he said it morning shows. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep going until something happens. Cause I, I think it will. So, so I did, I just put myself in that frame of mind that I was not going to give up. And it really wasn't easy. When I think back on it, it really was tough because I had friends that were excelling in what they were doing and I had so many people telling me, ah, forget that, you know, who cares? You can still go to games, talk to the sports guys, do whatever. But why keep, you know, banging your head against the ceiling where you're not getting through? And it's not like you have a chip on your shoulder. You're easygoing and you're likable and you're not getting any traction. So can you just imagine? And I couldn't put myself in that position. If I start to get where I felt low, I would, um, you know, at one point I lived in California, so I'd walk on the beach more. I'd um, work out. I'd try to do whatever I could to kind of shift my mindset to positivity, like I can do this. So interesting, because my follow-up question was going to be about mindset. Before I go there, though, Kate, because I do still want to go there for a second, but when you mentioned the idea that you just knew it could happen and it was something that you would want it for a long time, I always talk about 
well, I, I use the terms purpose and your why interchangeably, like finding your why living on purpose. And do you feel, because I've often said that if your why is big enough, you'll either figure out the how or you'll go until, you get, until the how works itself out. Do you feel that it was a big why for you? Do you think that was a driving force as well? I do. I feel like that really, that was just, that just kept me saying, yeah, I have to do this. I feel like this is it. This is why I'm supposed to keep going and I'm not going to veer in another direction because I'm not going to be happy if I do that. And I have run across too many people in my life and then who were doing jobs where they were making mega bucks, but they didn't like their job. It, you know, if you ask them, is this really what you wanted to do when you were a kid? Is this what drives you? And it would be, no, they were just driven because they thought that's what they should do. They thought it was a secure job or whatever, but it wasn't something they were, I hate that word in a way, but it wasn't something that they were incredibly passionate about. They weren't at all. It just was a, a means to an end. They lived for the weekend. They lived for vacations and time off. And I didn't want to do that. So the, as we start winding down, I want to ask you about rituals and mindset, but now you, you brought up something else, which is this word of passion. And you said where you're not necessarily maybe a fan of it. And this is interesting to me. I'm actually working on an article right now about this because I don't know if, if we chatted about it, but the show used to be called Conversations with Passion. And what I found out is we started getting a, a backlash to the word passion about a little more than halfway through the show. Early on, I would ask about passion and everybody was just like, yeah, it's everything. You need to find your passion. And then I started noticing people are saying, I'm tired of that word or I'm tired of people saying to somebody, you have to find your passion because maybe it makes them feel like if they haven't found it, they're failing somehow. So I'm curious, you know, when you mentioned that, Kate, what, what's, what's your thoughts on this whole idea of passion? Yeah, there, it's funny. I would have never said that before because what's wrong with saying, hey, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about this food. I'm passionate about this career. I'm passionate about this woman, this man, this whatever. Um, but it's what I think what it is, is that we tell people that that used to be the saying, find your passion, find your passion. And then people would say, well, what I, I can't, I mean, how am I supposed to do that? And that doesn't make sense. And I think it got kind of the word kind of got overused and battered around and put in, in just kind of thrown out there so much. And there would be this, well, where's the roadmap? map to passion. I'm passionate about this, but I can't find a job doing it. And I think because of the way it was used and used so much, it became sort of like frustrating to people that, you know, what, how do I do that? What do you mean find my passion? I mean, still, you, you know, this Corey, that people are, that are listening to us have these ideas of, geez, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you know, there's been so many books written about it. What color is your parachute? And trying to figure out what I want to do. And, and I've talked to a lot of young people, meaning in high school and um, early on in their college days where they sometimes feel really tense, where they feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I want to do. And, and I feel this pressure to have to know what I want to do because of that word passion. What are you passionate about? They go and they see guidance counselors and that's what they're telling them. And then it makes them um, a little anxious because they feel like they, they don't know what that is. So 
that, that now this is a, a unique segue and but I totally agree with your uh, where you're coming from in that Kate and, and where people are coming from on it and so much so as I mentioned that we ultimately changed the name of the show because I felt if more and more people are starting to dislike that word it's kind of foolish to have it in the name of your show even if you want to have a discussion about it on the show if people are going past it because they're tired of the word then they're never going to hear the discussion in the first place so that's why i always ask people about this now saying that mindset which i believe relates to not not just or not even necessarily finding what you love or what you want to do but having the type of mindset that even if you're not doing what you love that you're still happy there or at least fulfilled in life and so you mentioned mindset so i want to dive even maybe a bit deeper because you shared that you went to the beach walked on the beach exercised i think you mentioned listen to positive messages as a way to improve your mindset how about rituals do you have any rituals that you practice on a regular basis Oh, absolutely. That's such a great question. I, when I get up in the morning, the first thing that I do is I journal. I just, I do a journal and I get anything out that's in my head that's like kind of rattling around. I call it the top five and I go through what it, what it really should look like. Like I'm frustrated by this, but Hey, here's what I'm grateful for. And I'll do the 10 things I'm thinking about and grateful for period at that moment. And I do that every single day, no matter where I am, I take the time and I journal. I mean, so much so that people have seen me, like I just was in Sedona and it was cool. This guy went by me, Corey, and he said, cool, you're journaling. And he like high-fived me. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because I thought, geez, everyone journals now. So the very first thing I do is I, I journal and then I'll read something that moves me. You mentioned um, Tim Ferriss. I read Tim Ferriss. Or I do, you know, I'll look at Gary Vee's stuff, even though I know he can be controversial and like a live wire for some people, I like it. And there's other uh, motivational books I've read, um, Deepak Chopra, I like his work. Uh, even if I go old school, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, but something that fills my mind up with, yeah, you can do this, keep hanging in and keep pursuing and just really sets the tone for the day. So my last official question, and then the unofficial question I'll give you a heads up is simply gonna be how we can connect with you and learn more, Kate. But the last official question, which I like to ask every guest, is if you could jump into a time machine, Kate, and go back and visit a younger version of yourself, and you would know the timeline when she needs the, the advice the most, but uh, if you could give her one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell your younger self? Um, I would tell myself that's, that, uh, you know, life is short and do keep doing what you love and don't worry about what people think and just keep moving forward and enjoying and living every day to the fullest. Look around and all these great places that you are, no matter where there are, where, where you are, there's something, um, unique, different or exciting to do, see and feel it and just take it in and live in the moment. Love that. So Kate, this has been an absolute pleasure. My very last question is simply, how can people learn more about you? You mentioned your shows. Can, is there a hub where they can go to connect with you on social media, find out the events you're at, check out the show, all those kind of good things? Sure. Um, on Facebook, I'm at the, you know how we have these dual Facebooks. I'm at the limit with Kate Delaney, but if you go to Kate Delaney fan page, 
that's starting to stack up and I've got videos on where I am and that kind of stuff there. Or Kate Delaney Speaker is another place where you can go. And I've got a new book that's coming out called Deal Your Own Destiny and it comes out in a couple of weeks. Easy to find, go to more about me, dealyourowndestiny.com. Wow. Well, like I say, Kate Delaney, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. And I thank you so much for being so gracious with your time today and insight and just being so open to sharing. Corey, thank you. It was a pleasure to be on your show. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.